if there's one thing I hate, it's when someone upsets my apple cart. I have a plan to do this, to achieve that, and someone comes along and forces a change in my plans. Oh, how I hate that. Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're continuing in our series called Following Jesus with Confidence. So let's get into God's Word to check out what happens to our confidence when there's a sudden change in plans. And do stay tuned because in just a few moments I'll be telling you about our latest life application booklet. It's called Living a Life of Quiet Confidence, and I'd love to send you a free copy to help you do just that live out the rest of your life on this earth with a quiet confidence in Jesus. So what do you have planned for today, for tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month? We all have hopes and dreams and plans. How we see the future, what we have to look forward to, plays a pretty important part in how much we enjoy our lives today. This morning I got up, I looked at my diary, and for a change, things were pretty clear. Normally I have lots of things in my diary. The reason is, I plan ahead. So, preparing radio programs, I normally have several pretty solid blocks of time during each week blocked out to do just that. Time in the studio, meetings, admin stuff at the office, perhaps the odd catch-up with a friend, men's group Friday mornings. But this morning, it was pretty clear. So, after a time with the Lord... I sat down to start putting together some thoughts for another radio program. But yesterday, man, yesterday I had this list of 27 items to get through. I got through about half of them, which really isn't too bad. But in the middle of some really important stuff, off goes Skype on my desktop. It was one of our team from Africa calling. Now, I hadn't spoken to Joseph for, I guess, a couple of weeks. I really wanted to talk to him. But part of me was, well, not so much annoyed, but agitated, because I had all these things planned for today, and yet I was being interrupted. Of course, I chatted with Joseph. It was great. But it's that reaction of having my plans interrupted that's the really interesting bit. I'm sure you've experienced it too. Really good plans, and then someone comes along and interrupts them. It happens in the small day-to-day things, and it happens too in the bigger things of life. The plan to get married, to have children, to find somewhere to live, perhaps to buy a house. The plans we have in our minds for our finances and for our careers, for our children, for our families. Time and time and time again, those plans get turned on their head as other things, other people demand that they be changed. How do you react when that happens, huh? We've been chatting over these past few weeks about the idea of following Jesus with confidence. There are plenty of things that come along to shake our confidence in him day to day, and one of those is when our plans, good and godly though they may have been, are turned on their heads. We kind of react with this shock. Hang on, what's going on? I I had things all planned out, and now this? Really? That can't be right. Maybe I was heading in the wrong direction in the first place. And that sense of maybe I had it wrong shakes our confidence a bit. Would it surprise you to know that you're not the only one who's ever been in that place? Have a listen to this. It's out of the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 16, verse 6. It's about the Apostle Paul's ministry journey. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. 
When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to cross over into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went through to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. Now, did you notice in there that twice, not once, but twice, we're told that God himself stopped Paul and his team from following through on their plans? I'm sure they'd sat down and they'd thought about it and they'd prayed about it. They'd been convinced to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus in Asia. And yet they couldn't, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, we don't find out how that happened. Perhaps Paul had a really sharp dream in the night. Perhaps one of their team with a spiritual gift of prophecy stood up and said so. Perhaps they'd been praying together and all of a sudden, a few of them just got that really sharp check in the spirit, telling them not to go there. Whatever it was, the Holy Spirit forbade them to go there, contrary to their initial plans. And a second time they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Was there some physical obstacle? Was it a sense of spiritual discernment? We're not told. But again, the Holy Spirit blocked their way. I was reading a great blog post, Finding My Keys, by a guy called Luke Collings, where he writes this, The role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian is often portrayed as overwhelmingly positive. That is, the Spirit enables the Christian to live in a manner of which they're incapable while they were still under sin. They can be obedient by the Spirit, Romans 8.4. They can understand the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.12. They can overcome the desires of the body, Galatians 5.16. I could go on and on. The contemporary word to describe the Spirit's effect on the Christian's life is empowerment. Well put, Luke. In our contemporary social context of individualism and self, it's easy to get only half the view of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Almost as though the Spirit is there to serve us rather than the other way around. Of course, God is our helper, but he's also our king. Of course, Jesus is our saviour, but he's also our Lord. And it's that second part of the equation that we miss at our peril. Luke Collings goes on to say this. What we see instead is that the Holy Spirit is more than just ministry rocket fuel. The Spirit is the one who opens and closes doors for the gospel to spread. The Spirit doesn't just empower us, but directs us and enables us. Those engaged in the preaching of Jesus learned from Acts 16 that they are not the captain and navigator of their own course. Those jobs are firmly in God's hands. So next time God slams the door shut in your face, this wouldn't be a bad thing to remember. At the end of the day, it's not my plan or yours that are the important things. It's God's plans because he sees the whole picture. Notice with Paul, both times God slams the door shut, God leads them in a different direction. The direction that he would have them go, to speak the gospel to the people he would have them speak to. As well as the no's, there was a strong positive yes. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen that vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. God leads us in all sorts of different ways, sometimes by closing this door and then a little while later flinging open some other door that you or I would never have dreamed of even knocking on. 
that change of plans. Sure, our natural reaction is to wonder why. Our natural reaction is to have our confidence shaken. But the whole point of what we're talking about today on the program is learning to follow Jesus with confidence. The next time a door slams unexpectedly shut in your face, may the Holy Spirit dust this little chat of ours off and bring it to your recollection. A change of plans doesn't always mean that something's gone wrong. God's still on his throne, and he really does know what he's doing. Now, before the break, we chatted about the fact that sometimes God changes our plans. When we're chugging along, we have plans for today and the rest of the week, and in fact, for the rest of our lives, if the truth be known. And yet sometimes God comes along and completely changes things. Now, you'd think, wouldn't you, that if if it's God, hey, we'd be all for it. Go for it, Jesus. Hmm, sure. Sometimes we come to that conclusion eventually, and yet other times it's like God has to drag us kicking and screaming in the direction that he's planned for us. Have a listen to this from the missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, in case you missed it just before the break. It's out of the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 16. Then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they'd come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. When he'd seen the vision, we immediately crossed over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. So there you have it. Twice Paul was prevented from going where he'd planned, once to Asia, the second time to Bithynia, and yet God has a positive alternative plan for him. The initial shock and horror that we experience when someone changes our plans, in this case, when God changes our plans, which clearly he does sometimes, shouldn't rock our confidence. Think about it. Sometimes a two-year-old might have a really, really good plan to cross that busy freeway, but fortunately, Dad has an alternate plan. It's the same with God. But what about when it's not God who changes our plans, but Satan himself? What then? Well, for most of us, that really rocks us to the core. There have been times when I've had some really good and godly plans, I mean, really good stuff to bless other people, and something terrible happens. An argument breaks out in the ministry teams. Someone undermines you. Perhaps someone makes false accusations against you. And this good and godly plan that you had just goes up in a puff of smoke. If you've ever had that happen to you, you'll know that it's just the most painful thing. It knocks the stuffing out of you because, well, doesn't the Bible tell us to put our confidence in Jesus? Doesn't it speak of God's power and compassion and and his victory over the devil and over evil? How is it then that evil can win the day when the Bible says, when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart grow faint. Do not fear or do not panic or do not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses 1 to 4. 
And that's not an isolated quote. The Bible is replete over and over again about God giving us victory over our enemies and over Satan. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James chapter 4, verse 7. So what happens when the devil doesn't flee? What happens when he seems to have the upper hand? What happens when the wicked people around us seem to win against the good and godly plans and intentions that we had? Then what? Well, if that's ever happened to you, then you're not alone. Have a listen to this. Again, it's from the experience of the Apostle Paul in ministry. This time he writes about it in his first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 17 to 20. As for us, brothers and sisters, when for a short time we were made orphans by being separated from you in person, not in heart, we longed with great eagerness to see you face to face. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, wanted to come to you again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Isn't it you? Yes, you are our glory and our joy. Who or what prevented the Apostle Paul from going to see his friends in Thessalonica? Satan did. Satan blocked Paul's way. Now, does Paul seem phased by that? Does he seem surprised or shocked or horrified? Not at all. He goes right on and talks about the glory of God. It's almost as though he sees this as a normal part of doing business in the kingdom of God. And what about Jesus? When he was nailed there on that cross, didn't it look as though the enemy had won? Didn't Jesus look like the vanquished and Satan like the victor? And yet the Bible says this of that brutal love transaction on the cross. Colossians 2 verses 13 to 15. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, what appeared to be a great loss was in fact a great victory. So great that Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities, Satan and his armies, and made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them on the cross. Do you recall the thorn that Paul had in his flesh, the one that he asked God to remove three times, but God wouldn't? Do you remember what he called that thorn? Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak... Then I am strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Over and over again in Scripture, we see situations and circumstances where Satan seems to get the upper hand. He thinks he has the upper hand, and yet God's always in control. God's grace is always sufficient for you and me in the situation. And if it was true back then, it's true now. Just because Satan appears to have the upper hand in a particular situation or skirmish, it doesn't mean that God's lost the plot. It doesn't mean that Satan's winning. It doesn't mean that God's grace isn't sufficient for you in that place. 
Look at Paul's reaction to the fact that he is going to have to live with this messenger of Satan in his flesh. So, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, I am strong. Hallelujah. Satan is purely a tool in God's hands, nothing more, nothing less. He is as subject to the sovereign power of God as you or I or any other creature in creation. And as the wise old King Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 19 and 20, don't fret because of evildoers. Don't, don't envy the wicked, for the evil have no future, and the lamp of the wicked will go out. See, your God is in control. Your king reigns. Your future is bright, and nothing, no deception that Satan can conjure up, will ever change that. Nothing. That's why we call it the good news. The plans that you and I have for ourselves, for our lives, for our families, for our jobs and our careers, they appear to us to be good plans. Do, I mean, do you ever plan or hope for something bad to happen? Do you ever hope that you'll be in a place of loss or confusion or pain or, or distress? Do you plan to lose your job? Do you plan for someone you love to die or someone you trust to betray you? Well, the answer is pretty much blindingly, glimpsingly obvious. Of course you don't, nor do I. See, we, we plan for a promotion at work, an improvement in our circumstances, a happy family dinner tonight, that holiday we're going on next week. We plan for good things, for happy things. And if we had our way, our lives would be like one long sugar-coated candy, right? That's pretty much it. But before we get all carried away here, planning that we'll spend the rest of our lives floating around on cloud nine, let's just get a grip on reality. First up, life simply isn't like that. You know it and I know it. And secondly, God just isn't like that either. God's plan for you isn't like that. God's plan includes some dark threads in there with the gold and silver ones as he weaves the tapestry of your life, your character, as you serve him. Those are the facts of the matter. Just have a listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labour pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved, now, hope that is seen isn't hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the human heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, sufferings, pain, weaknesses, are those things in your plan for your life? No, me neither. But they're going to happen, right? Because God has decided that that's the way the world should be. And what's the most important thing that Paul is telling us to remember here? That we should know that it doesn't matter what comes our way. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. It doesn't matter how confusing it is. It doesn't matter how hurtful it is. All things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. See, God's ultimate plan in all of this is to bring us into glory with him. And even though we're groaning sometimes, waiting for the adoption, waiting for the redemption of our bodies, hoping against all hope that something good's going to happen, even, even though we're in that place, God has a plan to bring us into glory with him. Now, the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through what he had to suffer. And he had to suffer rather a lot more than you and me. If you and I had a choice, would we plan a life for ourselves like his? <laughs> Not on your Nelly. And yet without his life and death, there would be no life for you and me. The most important thing for you and me to remember when our confidence is being shaken is that God has it all under control. And each and everything that we experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, he will cause to work together for good in our lives. Come on. You think about some of the tough places that you've been in just the last six months, the, the, the real trials. What did you learn about God's faithfulness? What, what did you learn in that place about God's power? What did you learn in that place about how to behave differently in a more godly way, in a more Christ-like way. It's in those times that we do our greatest learning under the power of the Holy Spirit. As we receive his word, as the Spirit guides us, as the Spirit teaches us, it's in those difficult places when our plans are changed, when God changes our plans, when Satan changes our plans. We learn about the sovereignty of God. We learn about the faithfulness of God. God is in that place with you and he's in that place with me and that, that is what God wants us to remember. Just before we go, I'd like to tell you about a free gift that we'd love to send you to help you experience the power of God more and more in your life. Each month, Bernie writes a new life application booklet around the sorts of issues that we all deal with in life. It's designed to take you deeper into God's Word and then to help you live out what you've discovered. It's about helping you experience God's love and power in your faith walk. To request the latest e-booklet, visit ChristianityWorks.org and you'll see that free offer towards the top of the homepage. I'm believing that it'll be a mighty blessing to you. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Diamet, and we'll catch you again next time. Mm -hmm.